Hi, guys. It's Tommy Freeze Pops here with you again, right here on Great Dane Nation. And yes, you guessed it, summer vacation is still in full effect. We're only a few weeks away from taking this show on the road to Canton, Ohio for induction weekend at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I cannot stress to you enough how excited I am for that. And maybe the most exciting part of it all, Morton and I are meeting in person for the first time ever. So hopefully I still have a job after I meet Morton in person. I got to make sure I shower that morning. Yeah, I'll put that on the to-do list. Anyways, this week on the pod, we're doing an all-kicker edition of the name game with Morton. Great Dane giving his thoughts on seven of the best kickers to ever lace them up. Let's kick it. So we end our interviews with our guests with a name game. Morton throws out a name. They go back and forth. Maybe it's just a one-word answer. Maybe it's a short story. We're doing top seven lists. So I figured let's throw out seven kickers that are some of the greatest kickers of all time. And we'll have arguably the greatest kicker of all time, the Great Dane, give his thoughts on each. So Morton, are you ready for the name game? Okay, I, I will put on my interviewee hat, and uh, like Bill Murray, I will chuckle and go, ho, 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 what is this, Barbara Walters? <laughs> Bill Murray was her? awesome. Wasn't, ba- wasn't this Baba Wawa's idea? Name game. Aha! I can't believe you're asking me this. And you know what? He did a great job with it. He, he, endu- he endured, let's face it. He's in a closet in Stapleton in Denver in an airport. He endured. He's so good. I don't know if he uh, was a willing participant, but we had him, man. What is is he going to do, hang up on us? I actually thought he might hang up on us. Well, anyway, I won't. Freeze, I will not hang up on you. Thank you. Okay, first name, Adam Vinatieri. Well, he is uh, he's one of the greatest. Uh, many consider him the, the greatest of all time because of his Super Bowl winning kicks, his, his most difficult snow kick in the playoffs. He's the leading scorer in the history of the game. He has most field goals. Him and I are tied on game deciding field goals, you know, at the end of the game. So he has he's got a lot going for him and he had he had a long career. He didn't kick off as long as I did, but he he has the pedigree certainly to be considered, you know, if not the greatest, then certainly one of the greatest of all time. Gary Anderson. Another guy that kind of paralleled my career came out of Syracuse University. He's from South Africa. We get confused a lot. They think I'm Gary and Gary is me and S-O-N and S-E-N and it takes a lot of effort, let's face it. To figure that one out. He played for 20, I want to say 23 years. He was the leading scorer in the game for a long time until I broke that record and then Adam broke mine. So, you know, Gary was great. He was a natural kicker. He was not, he was a field kicker. He was not what you would consider a technical guy. I don't think he gave a lot of forced thought to alignment. I mean, he just, he eyeballed it and he hit it. And when Gary played, it looked effortless. You know, he was 35 for 35 in one year. I mean, he had a perfect year until he got to the NFC Championship game. And I sure do feel for him on, on that particular kick. He just barely missed uh, the field goal. And we were obviously happy he did because we, we were able to win the game at the end. But 
a, a tremendous, consistently high-end kicker should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I absolutely believe that Gary Anderson should be there, and and it's a crime if he doesn't get entry. Yeah, like when is that going to happen? Like that mm-hmm. that has to it, happen. You know, he's right? eligible now. I mean, he's he's made it. I think to the semifinals before, but he's, I don't believe he's ever made the finals, but I'll continue pushing for him uh, along with a bunch of other guys, but it's just a long road uh, as I learned myself. So we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll just keep plugging away at it. But Gary certainly belongs in the pro football hall of fame. Jan Stenerud. Well, you know, Jan is the original gangster. He was a pioneer. He was one of the first soccer style kickers along with the Gogolak brothers. And he he defined what it looked like, I think, to be a modern, a, a more modern kicker. He took that skill set and transferred it from, okay, you're a big, big offensive lineman, a defensive lineman who can just hit a ball, you know, straight on to more of a skill where there was a lot more skill involved besides brute strength. So I think we, we owe, owe Jan Stenerud a, a, a debt of gratitude. He bridged the gap between like the old school kicking and my generation of guys was the first pure kicker in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he's been an advocate for the specialists since, you know, since I can remember. And, and just a great, great guy, humble, wise, and uh, had been a great mentor for me, somebody I looked up to for a long time. I know a lot of guys look up to him. Some The younger guys playing now, they if they don't know who Jan Stenerud is, they need to find out. They need to Google his name or they need to call some of us, you know, my generation and, and ask us because um, truly is a legendary guy, a legendary kicker, iconic. And uh, he certainly belongs in the in the top echelon of in the history of the game as far as kickers go. I learned so much about him in the lead up to our interview with him. And I think the craziest thing about Jan Stenerud having the career he did was how little preparation he was allowed to do compared to the guys of today. I mean, crazy. He, yeah. uh, you know, a couple warm up kicks before a game and a couple kicks here and there at practice during the week. But he generally just stood on the sidelines next to coach and they're like, all right. We'll go kick 10 field goals and then practice will be over. It's just like insane to me that he had the career he did playing outdoors in Kansas City, bad weather in the winter, then went up to Lambeau. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. The dude is just a force. He was born to be a kicker. 22 for 24 in Green Bay. This is guys that you know played in, a, in an era where there was no designated long snapper there was no real uh, concern about who was going to hold the ball, whoever was available. It's usually a quarterback. You know, now it's usually a punter, the punter, because you have more time with him. But he didn't have the luxury of that. He was kicking rocks out of the, you know, new balls. They were not, they hadn't been massaged and doctored in any way. Not doctored, you know, they they hadn't been rubbed right. down with with oil, and nobody sang lullabies to these balls before they went nighty night. So. He was, uh, you know, he's a pure guy, man. That uh, that earned every every kick he got in just terrible weather conditions and field conditions. So I, I'm mad respect for Jan Stenerud. George Blanda. Yeah, I I only met George a couple of times, and uh, you know, he was a quarterback with the Raiders. He was a kicker. He was a big time player, gamer. He played for 26 years. Played longer than anybody. Played less games than I did because they played less games in a season. 
But I remember sharing a cab with George Blander and Jan Stenerud, and I sat in the front seat, and the two guys, Jan and George, sat uh, in the back. It was out in Bozeman, Montana. Jan had a golf tournament, and George flew in for it. And that was the first time I had met George Blanda, and I was like a fly on the wall. Just I was very, uh, I was intimidated, yet so curious to just listen in on those two guys, those two legends in the back, and listen to them. And uh, George was a great hang, a lot of fun, great stories, such a competitor, longevity, unbelievable, and uh, iconic, iconic player. So so thrilled and and uh, happy I got to at least meet him a co- on a couple of occasions. It's sort of the last of a generation of guys that played multiple positions, right? At the end of his career there with the Raiders was kicking and playing quarterback still, which was common at the beginning of his career, but not towards the end. I mean, it, even back then, it, ha- it had become a much more specialized game. And George Bland is out here as one of the best kickers. And he had a great season at quarterback, too. It was uh, super mm-hmm. fascinating to look through his pro football reference page if you guys are ever bored. You had him, and then you had Lou the Toe Groza, right? Lou played, I think, on the line. That's my next name, Lou Groza. Oh, oh okay. I did not know that. But there you Lou, go. Lou the Toe, the modern-day kicker today in college, all aspire to be the winner of the Lou Groza Golden Toe Award, I think it's called. It's Kicker of the Year in College Football. I've been part of that award for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, Lou, is uh, his legacy continues through that award, of course. And um, – an amazing, again, a pioneer of sorts, if you will, in the same vein with like Blanda and Stenerud, Lou the Toe, another great nickname. Uh, great nickname. Great nickname. And uh, yeah, his he left an indelible mark on the league for sure. You got to love a guy that plays O-line and kicker. I mean, it's, that's a great it, combination. It, it's hardcore, man. It's like, hey, I can crush you, but I can also, you know, <laughs> kick the ball through the pipes. It's awesome. Jason Hansen. Yeah, he was really good for a long time with Detroit. You know, again, it's one of those players who just never won anything because he was with Detroit. And so you just feel for that, for those players, and you hope that franchise somehow can flip it around, turn it around. He was consistent, you know. He had a roof over his head for for all of his career, so that helps. But he was money outside. He kicked the long ball. His kickoffs were booming. He had longevity. He made some big kicks. Again, a guy that I feel belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. To stay with one team for that many yes. years. He was with the Lions from 92 to 2012. He played in wow. 327 games for one team. That's yeah. insane. That alone deserves Hall of Fame credit. No yeah, one well, does that. No, he's and he he did so much in that community up there in Detroit off the field. He was well liked and respected, and he was humble. He's a quiet guy. It was never about me, me, me. It was also always about how can I best help the team? You know, how can I be as good as I can be? And, you know, it was kind of him with with Eddie Murray. Eddie was another kicker up there, Eddie Murray, who played with the Detroit Lions for a long time. And then he he might have played for Dallas maybe for a year or two. Eddie's another guy I think that needs consideration for the Pro Football Hall of Fame was awesome and uh, left the legacy for Jason to continue. So there's a lot of lineage right there with the Detroit Lions and a sound, sound kicking game. Eddie Murray, one of the greatest Canadian football players in history, born in Halifax. Fun Awesome, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, my friend, but Eddie, awesome dude, competitor, 
competitor to the the utmost degree and uh, just a great, great friend. Tom Dempsey. Yeah, I miss Tom. You know, we lost him uh, through COVID here recently. Uh, Tom was born with, you know, half a foot and half an arm and um, kicked the longest field goal in NFL history, had it for a long, long time, 63 yards in Tulane Stadium against, I believe, the Detroit Lions. He was an amazing dude. He played for other teams, but he's known for his his time with the Saints. He's I, he was iconic down there. He was actually my agent for a contract. He worked for a credit bureau. My agent had passed away, so I was looking for an agent. We were in the middle of negotiations, and I asked Tom if he would finish the contract. And he said, "Sure, I'll. I can do that." I said, "What? Well, what do I pay you? I normally pay people three percent of whatever they negotiate." He goes, "Give me five hundred bucks." <laughs> I gave him five hundred bucks. It is the cheapest for you. The cheapest agency fee I've ever paid in my NFL career. Five hundred bones. And so Tom was just awesome. We uh, we did a couple of signings together. I saw him on occasion. Just a fun guy, storyteller, loyal, awesome. Miss Tom so much. So there you go, guys. You have mm-hmm. one of the greatest kickers of all time participating in a name game about the other greatest kickers of all time. I wasn't going to have Morton do a top seven for his peers. Cause that's just not fair. Right. I mean, he, that would have been a little awkward, a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been awkward for me to do that. I self-serving. Yeah. We already gassed Morton's tires up enough on this podcast. Yeah. We don't need to rank himself. Number one on a list. Come on. I, I would probably n- would not have done that anyway. I probably would not have mentioned my name, and then I would have let people insert where appropriate. That's probably what I would have done. I would have talked about everybody else. I hope I would have anyway. Who's the best kicker in the NFL right now? Well, I think it's Justin Tucker still. I think he's uh, he's the guy. He's been consistent here the last five, seven years and played at an extremely high level. I think he's the leading percentage guy right now in the league. If not, he's right there. You got Will Lutz in New Orleans. He's really good. I think Will's going to have a breakout year. You talked to him recently. Yeah, had a great conversation with Will, and I see him, uh, you know, having a breakout year. I really do. And um, so there's a lot of guys out there that are playing at a high level. Those two guys come to mind right away. All right, there you have it, guys. A kicker convo with maybe the greatest kicker of all time, Morton Anderson. Here's your weekly reminder to follow us on Twitter at Great Dane Nation. Follow us on Instagram at Great Dane Nation VI. And remember, make sure you check out all of our previous interviews from Great Dane Nation on the Vegas Insider YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. You can go back and check out our previous interviews from Adam Vinatieri, Jan Stenerud, Dominique Wilkins, and many more. That's youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. Now let's get to my conversation with Kevin Rogers from Vegas Insider. VegasInsider.com is the global leader for sports gaming information, and it's your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. Every week, we're joined by one of our Vegas Insider experts to make us a little smarter. And this week, we welcome back Vegas Insider expert and the host of the Bet and Collect podcast, Kevin Rogers. Kevin, what's going on? Tom, good to talk to you again. And uh, the NBA now finished, so we can just relax for a few weeks with some baseball. And then uh, we got football around the corner. 
That's right. We can take it a little easy here. Make sure you check out the latest from Kevin on the VegasInsider.com website. He's got podcasts. He's got picks. The man does it all. And you got to follow him on Twitter at VI Rogers. And Kevin, let's start right there with the NBA Finals champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis with 50 points in the clinching game last night, giving the Bucks their first NBA title in 50 years. He wins Finals MVP at 26 years old to go along with his two regular season MVP. He's truly one of the greatest players we've ever seen in this game. What's your biggest takeaway after watching history be made on Tuesday night? Well, as far as Giannis goes, I just forgot how bad Milwaukee was when he went there, at least the first few years. Now, I'm never going to say that, oh, how could all these teams pass on him? You didn't know. I didn't know. Nobody knew how great he would be. Like, let, let's just be honest on that one. That, that That's something that's, you know, Milwaukee hit the jackpot with him. I don't know if they did better scouting or what, but I don't blame the other teams for not taking him. Nobody knew who he was. You see what he looked like as a rookie and now what he is now. I mean, he's like a man now. He was a kid then. And look, Milwaukee stayed the course. I don't want to take away from what they did when people are going to say that, A, Brooklyn wasn't healthy. They avoided the top seed Philadelphia, who knew was always a sketchy one anyway. And Phoenix on the flip side, they were down 2-1 to one of the Lakers, and Anthony Davis was healthy. If Anthony Davis stayed healthy, maybe the Lakers knock out the Suns in the first round, and Kawhi was hurt in the Clippers series. So the Suns had some breaks go their way. But also, Tom, Milwaukee was the one seed each of the last two years and then gets the finals. So they're still a top-tier team in the NBA. And the stat that was there, they're the first team ever to win an NBA championship overcoming two different two nothing series deficits that means something you know and it, you can't take anything away from them they have a star they have a couple good players around them and Milwaukee deserves to be the champions I, th- I think it's that simple and for them to be down two nothing to Phoenix and win four straight is pretty impressive yeah I hate when people try and go in and legislate okay this championship counts more than this one because these players were injured here and oh well if just this one thing happened and it was an inch shorter then this wouldn't have happened it's like look it happened we watched it happen the games were played that's why we play games so Milwaukee is a legit champion I don't care if Kevin Durant if his foot is one inch behind the line the Nets win that series and then they go on it didn't happen so let's give Milwaukee its credit here well and also too, go back to last year with the Lakers and, and understandably the bubble is tough for everybody but they avoided the Clippers in the east they got or in the finals they, they drew the heat who probably weren't the best team I know your Celtics the Bucks. The Raptors were pretty good. Like there were a lot of teams and the 76ers were banged up. There were teams that probably had a better shot than the Heat against the Lakers. So you could say L.A. got fortunate. And also the other point, too, is when people say, oh, this you know wasn't a great finals. This went to six games. It was 2-2 two, two after four. I don't want to see sweeps in the finals. Those Warriors-Cavaliers finals. Three of those four were terrible finals, and we kept seeing the same teams over and over again. You had superstars on each side. So this was competitive. It was different. There's nothing wrong with it. And Milwaukee deserved the championship. You know what, Philadelphia? Be better. Brooklyn has got to stay healthy. And I don't, you know, injuries got them. Injuries got the Clippers. But so be it. Milwaukee was the last team standing. And Giannis was still hurt. And people forget about that. The guy hyperextended his knee in the Atlanta series, his worst game of that finals was 20 and 17 in game one, his first game back in a week. That was his worst game of the finals. 
It was insane. Congrats to him. I'm so happy he got a championship under his belt now because it's been a few years of him winning MVPs and Milwaukee being one of the top seeds in the conference. And I feel like people kind of had fatigue on them because they hadn't gotten it done in the postseason. Now, hey, look, they proved it. They're right there. So let's talk about the team that they played in the championship, the Phoenix Suns. How should betters view that team heading into next year as far as futures markets go? I mean, you have Magic Johnson already tweeting that he wants CP3 to join LeBron and AD out in LA. Like, 10 minutes after the finals ended. I don't even know if he still works for the team or not. It's kind of sketchy, his involvement with them. But how do you view the Suns next season from a gambling perspective, less than 24 hours removed from game six of the NBA finals? I just don't think they're going back to the finals. Simple as that. And and Chris Paul may not be there. So Chris Paul's not there. Forget it. Throw him out. But even if Chris Paul resigns there, he's got a 40-something million dollar option I mean, imagine having that, Tom. Here's a forty. Here's forty million dollars. Well, maybe I'll pass on that. Try to get more money. But uh, here's the thing with the West, though. Everyone's forgetting about Golden State. Clay Thompson's going to be back. If Clay Thompson step back for the Warriors next year, so Golden State will be legitimate again next year. We don't know Kawhi's status is when he's going to come back, but the Clippers will still be good even without him because Paul George proved that he can carry the team even for a bit. You have Utah. You have the Lakers, assuming, you know, Anthony Davis stays healthy. So you have those teams out there. I don't know how much I trust Denver, even though Jokic won the MVP, but you get Jamal Murray back. So you have a lot of really good teams out in the West. And I hate to say it, you know, I feel like in the NFL, Tom, except for Tom Brady, if you don't win the title, your window closes. That's what I feel like with like Cam Newton. It felt like it closed with Carolina and with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. Brady can lose, but I feel like he'll come back. This is the same situation with Phoenix. I feel like the, the window is open, the window's closed now. They have, they have no shot because you got to get through all these teams in the West. And then next year, if you did, maybe you play Brooklyn. You know, you play someone maybe better than Milwaukee in the uh, in the finals. I just can't see where Phoenix does this again. Phoenix wasn't a playoff team last year. They had a great run in the bubble. Devin Booker, I don't know what happened to him in game six. He did nothing, but he's still a fantastic player. Chris Paul helped that team. But again, Chris Paul's status up in the air. I just can't see with the West being improved with Golden State just being better with Clay back next year. I just can't see where it's worth taking Phoenix to even win the West. I think it's always fun to look ahead at the championship odds for next season in the hours immediately following a trophy presentation. And it looks like the Nets are unsurprisingly the heavy favorites at the moment at plus 225 with the Lakers behind them at nine to two odds and the Bucks just behind them at eight to one. Warriors and Jazz are at 12 to one. The Suns, like you were talking about just then, 14 to one. Sixers, 16 to one. Clippers, 18 to one. Do any of those catch your eye as good value right now? I say no on the Clippers because the Kawhi thing. No, no on Phoenix. I I don't know if the window closed on the Jazz too. Like, like that's the other one that that Utah ended up losing to the Clippers without Kawhi the final two games. So I kind of wonder, you know, with the Jazz, how are you going to bounce back from that? But it's hard to look. Here's the thing with Brooklyn too. Yeah, this was a weird season, and you know, Harden they didn't have. Here's the problem, Tom. Harden, KD, and Durant played in, what, 10 or 12, something like that, a very low total amount of games together. Like a dozen, yeah. Right. I want to see what they could do for a whole season. Again, assuming they're all healthy, I want to see what they can do because it was an unfair representation 
of what Brooklyn was, and Durant brought it. We know how great he is. And Kyrie is still an excellent player. We know what Harden can do, too. And Harden, I think, bought into what Brooklyn was doing. He didn't even score 50 a game. You know, so even though it's uh, chalky, I still think Brooklyn should be worth the look. I don't know about the Lakers because, look, I know as stupid as it sounds, you know, everybody's older. Like, yeah, we all age, you know, but LeBron's going to be, what, 37 in December? So LeBron's up there in age, and Anthony Davis, for as great as he is, he's got injury issues. So, and even if they got Chris Paul, like, I, Chris Paul is up there in age. Like, like it almost feel. I don't want to say it goes back to that Kobe, Shaq, Carl Malone, Gary Payton team, but, like, you're putting this together, and I don't know if it works. So I got to trust the Nets. I got to throw Milwaukee in there just because. And in the West, I, I really don't know. I mean, I would say the Clippers if Kawhi wasn't hurt. If he was not injured, maybe this is their time. But, you know, I, I you know what, though, Tom? I'll throw out – I hate to use the term a dark horse. I, I'd like to see what Golden State could do now because I think people have slept on them. Steph, he doesn't have to carry the load anymore with Clay back. And you still have Draymond, and we'll see what Wiseman can do in his second year. But I, I think that uh, Golden State could be worth a look. I think people are forgetting about them too. That was going to be my pick at twelve to one. I just feel like that's really good value. Utah too. Uh, I know that they had that bad playoff exit, but I kind of feel like Utah is on the Milwaukee trajectory here, where they kind of take their playoff lumps. Donovan Mitchell feels like a guy that at some point is going to ascend. So I like both of those teams at twelve to one at the moment for value purposes. Kevin, thanks as always for joining us. And before I let you go, tell everyone what you're working on and where they can find it. Well, we're going to have a new Bet and Collect podcast coming out this week and uh, talk some more NFL. And, yeah, we're just getting set for for football now. I mean, we have baseball going on every day. But uh, now that basketball is done and it carried us at least through July, that uh, we just turn our attention to football. And it should be pretty fun, you know, with NFL and, you know, college football coming up in late August, early September with week zero. And you have Big Ten all playing conference games right out of the gate. So, there's a, there's a lot to look forward to, definitely, even though uh, we're in the summer, but before you know it, football will be here. Kevin, thanks for the time today. We'll talk soon. Tom, you got it. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Great Dane Nation. Tune in next week for more summer vacation content as you'll hear part four of my four-part interview with the Great Dane. We'll be talking about his amazing comeback story to become the all-time scoring leader in NFL history. And if you've never heard that story before, I promise you, you don't want to miss this episode. The legend exemplifying exactly why he's just that, a legend. We'll see you next time.